Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, here we are again. We are well into January, aren't we? Yeah. Hard to believe we're this far into the year already. New Year's resolution's going good for you? Oh, you know, the diet plan, it's... It's still, going kind of still there, kind of. You That's know, good. most people so. like give up by this point, so don't give up on your That's New true. Year's resolutions. Yes, do not, <laughs> especially your financial New Year's resolutions, and that's what we're here to talk about because we have some great topics to talk about today. Um, we're going to start off talking about the five money mistakes that uh, keep you from getting rich. Yeah, I mean, these are a really good article out of CNBC just talking about some of the things that the wealthy people um, don't do, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why they are wealthy is. They have uh, some some things that they make sure that they stay away from and avoid. So we're going to dive into that. It's really good, uh, good information there. Yeah, that'll be great. And then we're going to follow that up with um, wills, wills and and estate planning mistakes. Um, so you know, a lot of people will kind of draft their own will, or or maybe they'll go to an attorney. They make some classic mistakes, and you can do it yourself. You know, there's lots of online tools. But we're going to talk about what are those mistakes you want to look out for when it comes to estate planning and creating your will. Um, But we're going to start off here, though. Um, Well, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have uh, a link to the podcast, or you can just listen to it right from the uh, the website. Uh, also have a lot of videos that we've uh, recorded in the in the past talking about college planning and have calculators out there. Facebook page, which we put a prescription on every week, and uh, our Twitter handle is moneymd. So uh, go go link into that as well. Yeah, lots of ways you can listen to us. Also, we'd love to hear back from you. So you can email us. You can link to us on our website, moneymd.net, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Okay, now we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this has to do with uh, December of 2018, Steve, was um, was a really challenging month. I mean, it was down 9% for the S&P 500, and it was the um, seventh worst monthly performance in the last 30 years. Ouch. So it's it's a top tenor, no doubt. And, um, you know, but uh, if you look back, um, the five out of six of those that were worse than, than December, they actually returned about 22%, um, you know, going forward until, uh, I guess, a year later. 12 months, 12 yeah. 12 months, yeah. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with this. We don't try to predict it. But historically, when the markets do poorly, they recover pretty quickly. And it's interesting. I look back at um, October of 2008. Probably remember that time well. Yes, I do. <clears throat> yeah, that month, the S&P 500 index was down about 17%. So almost Ouch. double what December was. And yep. December was very painful. But whew, um, the markets back in, in uh, October of 2008, that, just, uh, that was a very challenging month. Yeah, and it didn't come back for the next you know six months. I mean, basically bottomed in, in uh, March the 9th of 2009. But then it had a had a terrific year, it twelve did. months after that. Yeah, you know, so um, that's that's the key. You know, I mean, you got to be around for the recovery when it comes. And we we quoted a stat I think last week or the week before 
about the the Levin bear markets because we hit a bear market in December. And so the market was down 20% from its high. That's the definition of a bear market. Well, there have been 11 of those over the last 60 years. And the following 12 months from that low point in that bear market, the following 12 months averaged over 40% return in the S&P 500. So, you know, you can't afford to miss that recovery. It usually happens pretty fast. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. And of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results. So, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but on average, you have a pretty good market coming out of these, and you don't want to miss that. And we've already had a, a pretty good three weeks here yes, from the January's bottom. Yes, been good. Yeah, so uh, so hang in there, you know, um, but leave your investments where they are, well-invested, well-diversified, and, uh, you know, the markets eventually will come back if history is any guide at all. So, all right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the five money mistakes that keep you from getting rich. Yeah, this comes from uh, CNBC, Michelle Fox, and, you know, Steve, if you analyze the habits of wealthy people, you start to see some trends, kind of like you do with the markets. Um, first of all, you know, the wealthy people typically don't follow the pack, whether it's fad investing or panicking during a market sell-off, um, and that's according to, to Tom Corley. He's a, a, an author of um, Self-Made Millionaires. And secondly, they work at becoming successful every day. And, you know, it doesn't take hours of their time, but he likened uh, wealthy people to trees that they tend to grow slowly over time. And that's kind of what Dave Ramsey talks about as well. You know, being a building wealth over time is a um, crockpot way versus a, um, right. it's hard to do it with a microwave <laughs> approach. So, you know, every day they do certain things to help them um, change into the individuals they need to become for them to be successful and uh, this change is not noticeable necessarily from day to day or month to month. But as you start looking over time, you know, they've made these step changes over years and years and years, and it adds up. That's right. It's kind of like cleaning up my workshop. You know, that's one of my New Year's resolutions to clean up my workshop this this year. Mm, and so, take a while, huh? so, oh, my goodness, <laughs> it would take a long time because it's a wreck out there. But, you know, my, my goal is to go out there every time I go in the workshop. I'm going to pick up at least one thing and put it up. Oh, good. At least one thing. Yeah. So it's. So kind of like three eat, years down the road, you'll be there. It's kind of like eating an elephant. You know, yeah. you got to do it one bite at a time. And that's the way it is with being successful in these habits he's talking about. If you create the right habits, you get it going in the right direction. You know, these do add up over time and they make you very, very successful. And so, yeah, these daily habits, they include things like increasing your knowledge by going to school, you know, attending seminars, picking the brains of mentors, um, you can also develop, you know, and perfect your skills by practicing them, practicing them and by cultivating relationships with successful pe- people. Yep. So there's lots of things you can do that will add yeah. up over time. So Dave Ramsey has a uh, financial peace university class. If you go to his website, um, you can find out where the classes are being held. That's a nine week class would increase your knowledge significantly on financial topics. So that's mm-hmm. check that out. Good idea. And, uh, most people have heard of Warren Buffett. Um, he's also known as America's billionaire next door. He said the best thing people can do is develop their own talents. Uh, the greatest asset to own is your own abilities. And while we all make mistakes, there are a few that the super rich generally don't make. And uh, errors do cost monthly, uh, money. And while wealthy people certainly have made errors, they certainly don't want to lose it. And so here are five money mistakes that may be keeping you from getting ahead and getting wealthy. And one of them is interesting is doing it yourself. And uh, when the stock market drops, as we saw in December, um, you know, up to 9% uh, for the S&P 500, 
you have to know what you're doing or you can get burned. So if you don't have time to spend a few hours a day tracking the market or coming up with a plan or diversified you know, investments, the cost of a good financial advisor is well worth the investment. And these are the words from, from the CNBC article. So doing it yourself can be an issue for, for a lot of people out there. Yeah, that's right. What they say here is, you know, most wealthy people don't try to manage money themselves. They hire financial planners, CPAs, attorneys to protect their assets, reduce their risk. And when the risk are the highest um, or when are the risk the highest, you know, the markets are starting to uh, start taking investors on a roller coaster ride. And, you know, that's when people get stressed and they make bad decisions. So you need somebody on your team to help you make wise decisions, help keep it in perspective, and, you know, just help keep you on track. Yeah. And this article says when, you know, some people may balk at paying a a management fee, the returns on that money will in most years be well above that amount. And during the bad years, your advisor can help you mitigate some of your losses to preserve your wealth for the long haul, keep you focused on that that long-term plan as well. So, Doing it yourself is one of the um, you know mistakes that uh, wealthy folks don't make. They usually have a team of people helping them. Number two is not diversifying. The average investor you know, may have stocks and bonds in their 401k savings or investment portfolio, but the, the rich um, branch out and they diversify. Yeah, that's right. Remember Enron, John, mm, back I do in remember. 2002? Yep, um, yep. Yeah, I mean, many of the employees of that energy giant you know, company had bought into the kind of the sales pitch of leaving all their retirement in the company stock. And uh, in fact, I think they, they gave it all to them and kind of required them to start off with it in a company stock or something silly like that. And, and the, the SEC changed the rules after that, or, or ERISA did, the Department of Labor, where companies can't require you to keep your money in the company stock. Um, but, you know, they did that. The company went belly up. So did their retirement savings. So it was a disaster. Um, so, you know, you, you don't want to do that. You got to diversify. And in addition to stocks and bonds, the ultra wealthy, they tend to invest in things like real estate. They invest in, you know, really good diversified mutual funds, index funds, um, a whole portfolio, you know, and, and they hire people to help them do that, that have more knowledge than they do. So, you know, the, the point is you have to be really well diversified, you want to be spread out in a lot of different asset classes. You don't want to have all your money in one asset or one type of investment, um, you know, even even one market, really. So Sure. And key. yeah, and some people do real estate. It's an active investment. Um, you know, real estate loses money, too, right? If you, exactly. um, 2008, it took, uh, you know, some folks got, um, you know, caught in a trap there. So real estate's not a a magic bullet, but some, you know, wealthy people like to get into to real estate and, and have that as a part of their portfolio. But you certainly got to be careful with that. Um, another thing on the list is fad investing, right? Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to follow the, the newest fad. You know, the ultra wealthy, they say here, don't get caught up in the latest fad. They don't pounce on the next new thing. You know, take Bitcoin, for example. I mean, cyber currencies took off in 2017, they made some instant millionaires out of some of those early investors, but then those people probably didn't sell. And, of course, cyber currencies have had a disaster since then. 
you know, and they've fallen like 70% over the past year. So you don't want to jump on the latest fad. I mean, it's, you know, cyber investing, you know, Bitcoins, we've talked about that. It's really nothing more than, than gambling. Yeah, it is. You know, right. And it's all speculative. And I mean, a house of cards has pretty much fallen down now. That's right. So, you know, Buffett, who's famous for his philosophy of, of investing in what he knows and then holding on to it for the long term, he told CNBC last year that uh, he thought cryptocurrencies generally were, um, you know, were com- would come to a bad ending. And who knows? But um, that was a fad. We had people calling us up, um, you know, not only clients, but also friends and people that we knew asking us if they should invest in, in cryptocurrencies. And it's just risky. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the uh, Buffett is worth like $80 billion. So he uh, he's done pretty well investing what he knows. And um, what counts is having a philosophy and a plan that you stick with, um, that you understand, uh, and you don't forget about doing the things that you that you know how to do. Um, and that is, you know, being diversified and so forth. And, you know, those caught up following the herd mentality may do so because they're focusing on one thing that they think can make them rich overnight. And generally it doesn't work and you're going to get into a, a trap and, and um, you're going to lose a lot of it. We see it time and time again. So That's right. um, number four is, um, you know, one of the mistakes that the rich don't do is not having a long-term plan. Wealthy investors are patient. Um, they don't necessarily think about the short-term returns. Most people don't sit down and actually plan out how they're going to invest their savings over the next 20 years, but the wealthy do. They don't just wing it. They have a plan, and there's a process in place working with these team of folks that we kind of talked about earlier. That's right. And, you know, most of them aren't focused just on themselves. I mean, they're they're trying to create generational wealth that can benefit their children and their grandchildren and beyond. Um, So they kind of have a really long-term plan for a lot of them, you know, and so instead of buying you know, a a painting for the living room, they'll spend their extra money, you know, for art that can, that they can appreciate and that they can, uh, you know, pass down through generations. So it's not just, they're not just focused on their here and now they're focused on, you know, multi-generational. And they also, you know, do estate planning and that they have patience. That's right. Yeah, and another thing they don't do, Steve, is typically panic. The volatile stock market um, may, may make you want to run for cover because the rich are in it for the long term. They they tend not to panic for the most part. They also have a lot of you know liquidity, some other resources they can lean on when the stock market or real estate market or other investments go south. So they don't need to sell. And um, you know, it's all about what the world is giving us and what we give out as well. Um, and uh, anxious investors uh, receive anxiety uh, and confrontational people that are always engaged in some sort of uh, of conflict. Meanwhile, optimistic people experience more positive outcomes. Over their lifetime, this becomes a habit, and you'll awfully, often find that wealthy people who are happy got that way because they were optimistic as opposed to becoming um, optimistic because they, they got wealthy. So I think the other piece of this, you know, just from an overall panicking standpoint, is just understanding the market a little bit. History shows that markets are down about 25% of the time. So if you're going to be an investor in the stock market, you have to plan on those down periods. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you can kind of boil these, these, these mistakes up to kind of down to, to, you know, one of those, and that is having a long-term plan, you know, Mm. thinking long-term, not short-term. So you get the process going in the right direction. You know, you're making improvements, you're learning, you're, 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 you're saving for tomorrow. Everything you do is kind of focused on the long-term. That's what really successful people do. And we see that in our business for people that we, 
we work with that are really successful. You know, they're not just living for the here and now. They're diversifying their focus on the long term. So um, that's a great topic and all great advice. And that leads us up here to our next thing, and that is the question of the week. Yeah, this question talks about uh, RMDs, which is a required minimum distribution um, for folks that are 70 and a half and have IRA accounts. Uh, they have to take those out on an annual basis. It's required by the IRS. And so the question is, is you know, markets are down um, and I need to do an RMD this year. Uh, should I wait till later in the year to take it? And we get that question sometimes from, from clients that are right. required. You know, they don't want to take it when the markets are down. And so, yeah, you can certainly wait. You have to take it before the 31st of December this year. But, um, you know, it, the markets have popped a little bit here in January. It may not be a bad idea to take some of it, but you can certainly wait till the end of the year and see if the markets recover. Yeah, I mean, generally, that's what I'd recommend, Rend, anyway, you know, is wait kind of toward the end of the year. I mean, the longer money is invested, the longer you're using Uncle Sam's taxes that he's going to collect out of that RMD um, to make you more money. So as long as the market's going up and, you know, most years the market does go up, then uh, time's on your side. So I'd, I'd wait longer later in the year, particularly when market's down. So I think that's that's good advice and a great question. All right. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is estate planning mistakes in a will. Um, this is based on an article out of Bottom Line Personal by Gregory DuPont. And, uh, you know, John, I mean, drafting a will, it doesn't have to kind of rise to the complexity of rocket science. Um, so you can do it yourself, you know, and this is kind of a lot with what this is talking about here in this article is about doing it yourself. A lot of people use, <clears throat> you know, Rocket Lawyer, LegalZoom, you've heard of for sure, Quicken Willmaker Plus. Um, that, those are, can all be a reasonable option for a simple estate. Um, but you have to be careful because there are a lot of mistakes you can make when you're drafting your own will. And, you know, that's why, I mean, we think it's a lot safer if you use a state planning attorney, you know. But if you're not willing to pay, you know, several hundred dollars at least to hire an attorney to, to do kind of a straightforward will, then uh, using these online services is better than having no will at all, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they do generate, you know, perfectly acceptable state-specific documents by providing kind of the fill-in-the-blank forms or questionnaires that you that you go through, and then they will generate the completed forms. Um, so, with their assistance, you know, you might be able to write your own will in less than an hour, and maybe for forty to a hundred bucks. Um, so that's good, you know, but if you do take that route, you have to beware of these mistakes we're going to talk about here that people commonly make when they prepare their own will. Um, and they're not just obvious. So, you know, that's why it is better to use an attorney. But let's go through these. I mean, the first one is attempting to disinherit, um, you know, an heir or one of your children by omitting to mention their name in the will. Um, I mean, sounds reasonable. You know, if you don't want to leave somebody money, you just would leave that person out of your will, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not quite that simple, you know, but when it comes to, because when it comes to children and to the obvious heirs, um, if they're not mentioned at all, they will often contest the will on the grounds that they were left out accidentally. And it can look like an accident. I mean, if you don't say anything about one of your children, you know, for sure. So, so it's better to mention the disinherited 
you know, person by name and expressly state that you're not leaving this person a portion of your estate. You know, maybe you already gave them a whole bunch of money during your lifetime, you know, and they've already received their portion of your estate, you know, as an example, because we do have parents that we see do that occasionally that somebody needs a lot of help. Um, but, you know, put an ex- put a statement in your will, something like, I acknowledge that John Smith, one of my children, um, you know, for whom I, I make no provision, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so put something in there. So that's that's the first one. Yeah, another one is including end of life or funeral preferences. Um, would you want to be removed from life support, you know, if you're in a coma, or uh, would you rather be buried or cre- cremated? It's important that your heirs know these things, but your will is not the place to, to tell them. So wills are often consulted or not consulted until a couple of days after the death, at which point it's too late for your heirs to follow these directions. So your will really has no legal standing until you die. So your healthcare providers and heirs will not be bound to follow any kind of, you know, medical guidance in your, in your will, even if they did know about it. So will is not a place to put that, but there is a place. That's right. That's right. A better option. Um, Yeah. The proper estate planning document for detailing the end of life, medical care, funeral preferences is a living will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can create those as well. Um, kind of do it yourself using Rocket Lawyer, Legal Zoom, and um, you know, do it yourself living will creation tools that are out there. <clears throat> but you want to use a living will <clears throat> for cho- choosing those end of life kind of preferences. <clears throat> so the next mistake here, though, is setting conditions on inheritances. Now, a lot of people want to do this. You know, maybe you want one of your children or your grandchildren to receive a portion of your estate only if he or she is you know, off of drugs or gets married or graduates college. Um, You know, we hear those kind of preferences all the time when talking with people. You know, so these aren't uncommon, but, you know, who's going to monitor the situation and decide whether those conditions are met? Um, This usually becomes a lot more complex than people anticipate, creating a lot of uncertainty for your executor in your will and potentially leading to estate-draining lawsuits. Um, You know, examples would be, you know, if the condition that you set is no use of drugs, well, is drug testing required or just a lack of drug-related arrests maybe? You know, how about marijuana use in states where it's legal? It's getting Um, cloudy. Getting a little cloudy. That's right. You know, I mean, or if the condition is a college degree, well, does an online or a community college degree count? You know, what if it's just an associate's degree, a two-year degree? Um, I mean, you can try to cover all the possibilities in a self-written will, but you probably won't succeed. So a lot better way to do this is, um, you know, for one, it'd leave out the conditions in your will. Um, If you really want to put in those kind of conditions, then a trust is a lot better tool for that. Um, Because trust goals, trust will go on for a period of time. They're not kind of a one-time thing like a, executing a will is. Um, so, you know, you'll certainly want to see an estate planning attorney if you want to drop a trust. Mm-hmm. But you can have a trustee that will, <clears throat> you know, follow those conditions and try to implement your, your desires inside of a trust. Yeah, another mistake here on the list, and Steve, thanks for letting me talk about this, leaving assets to pets. Yeah, I knew you'd probably want to leave Boomer, you know, yeah. a big portion of your estate, right, yeah, John? Yeah, I figured you you didn't want to talk about this because, <laughs> you know, you know, I would be, I would soften it a little bit. Yeah, but people do it. As far as the law is concerned, your your pet cannot be an heir. I mean, uh, as much as you love that, that pet, um, 
you know, it's uh, it's simply personal property. If you try to leave money or any other uh, asset to a pet, the courts will likely allocate it to another of your beneficiaries instead. So I, I do love Boomer. He's a great dog. But, but you can take care of Boomer in your you will, can, can't you? You can. The better option is leave your pet um, and, and uh, you're some money, and you can put it into a pet trust. Right? There you go. There you go. Pet That'll trust. Be. I think you have some cats, right? Yeah, some... we're going to create a cat trust. Are Absolutely. You? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to leave my cat feeder filled up and perpetually running for, yeah, just for KJ big, big long vat, after I'm gone. Big vat of cat big, food that you're going to fill vat. up before you go. We'll have a subscription, you know, right. that comes out of the estate. Well, maybe we'll kind of bring refill. Boomer over there and you can have a cat and dog. We can one. do that. We can have a whole compound. Pet man. trust. So you can do that. I mean, you can do that with a rocket lawyer, legal zoom. Um, and we're making light of it, but there are a lot of people that are interested in that. So it's something that you Absolutely. want to discuss with your estate planning attorney. Probably would recommend going through that versus trying to do this yourself. I mean, these things are getting complicated when you start talking about these items. Yeah, I mean, you want to leave, and you can name a friend, obviously, you know, somebody that's going to, you know, younger than you or whatever, mm-hmm. likely to pre- you know, to, to survive you yep. to take care of your pet and leave them money to, to adequately do that. So, um, you know, that's a lot better way to try to handle that. Um, next mistake is leaving a significant asset directly to a minor. <clears throat> um, you know, if you do this, the court is going to appoint a guardian to look after the assets and perhaps claim a fee from your estate to do it until the child turns 18 or slightly older in some states. Upon their 18th birthday, almost all of the assets in, in, in states in most states, those assets will immediately become the, the the child's. It'll be under their control, and even if, you know, they're too immature to handle it reasonably. So a better solution is to, um, you know, do a, a, a will, and you could specify that the assets will be left to the minor in a UTMA or a UGMA account when you die, because those assets will be administered by a custodian of choice. You name a custodian in your will— to, to be in charge of the UGMA account. And in most states, that will maintain the control until age 21. Yeah. So you get an extra few years out of that. They're a lot <laughs> smarter at 21 than 18. They are. Well, I mean, it helps. <laughs> a few more years for sure, you know. But even 21 is, is younger than you'd like for a lot of people to take control of a big inheritance. Um, so instead, you can name a trust, and that is really a lot better tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you can have a trustee, and you can put ages in there, like age 25, age 30, age 35, maybe when they buy their first house. You can put all kind of conditions on it when that money is distributed to them. So a trust really is the best tool for for carrying out your wishes long-term um, to them in your will. Sure. Another mistake is um, assuming that all your assets are going to be distributed as dictated by your will. And this is not true. I mean, the beneficiary designations... Uh, on your 401ks and IRAs and life insurance policies, they take precedence over the beneficiaries in your will. So you got to be very careful that you have your beneficiaries kind of lined up with how your will is going to be distributed um, just to make sure they're consistent. I think, you know, you wouldn't want to do, you could do different things, but generally people are going to want to be consistent. That's right. Insurance policies, IRAs, they all have your beneficiary designations. Doesn't matter what your will says. So you just want to make sure those are up to date and those are correct. And the other mistake here is failing to follow rules about required witnesses. Um, you know, sometimes people draft their own wills, they do a great job, but then they don't get the proper number of witnesses or the witnesses aren't notarized. Um, so you got to really pay attention to what your state requires um, in the will. You know, it, it, a lot of times it has to be a disinterested third party type person that witnesses it. 
Um, use, a lot of times it needs to be notarized. So make sure you get the proper signatures on your will if you're going to do your own will. Yeah, another um, you know thing you have to think about is where to keep the will. If you have a lawyer draft it, they'll keep it in the uh, lawyer's office. But people do their own wills. They either put it in a bank deposit box or in their own homes um, uh, or both of those locations, which, which can certainly cause issues. It can be difficult, time-consuming for your executor to gain access to your bank deposit uh, after you die. And if you store it in your home, they may struggle to actually find the document. So, you know, whoever your executor is, you may want to just talk with them. Um, make sure you destroy any old documents so it's very clear on on what the uh, most valid will is so it doesn't, you know, slow down the process. Yeah, and give your executor a copy of the will. That's really the key. You know, if your child, if your son's going to be your executor, your daughter, go ahead, give them a copy of the latest will so they'll have a copy of it and then tell them it's in your safety deposit box or it's in your safe or it's in your, you know, desk drawer, wherever you keep it. Um, so they already have a copy and they know what to expect. That's really the key to, uh, to keeping your will in, in a safe place. Okay, and that leads up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, a couple things to do with um, Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. You can actually do contributions up until April the 15th for 2018. So, uh, yep. you know, when you put a contribution in, um, you know, all the way up, uh, you got three and a half months to do that, and you can fully fund your your Roth or your traditional. And also, the IRS has given us a gift. They have. Doesn't happen very often, does it? More money to your Roth. That's right. I love it. I love it. How much right. more? Yeah, an extra thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. You goes up this year in 2019 from six thousand to seven thousand um, dollars. Well, six your, six thousand under uh, fifty. Under fifty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the seven thousand <clears throat> yeah. for over fifty. Yeah, that's right. So it went up from five to six or six to seven if you're over fifty this year in 2019. So you know, I mean, you definitely want to take advantage of that. Get all you can in a Roth. That gives you a lot more flexibility when you're retired and you have some after-tax money or tax-free money, as well as your pre-tax money in your retirement plans, um, you want to fully fund a Roth up to retirement. Yeah, I'm and four, 401ks are 19000 under 50 and 25000 over 50. So they've raised the limits on, on all the contributions, which is good. Yeah, so make sure you increase your, your monthly contributions going in to take advantage of those new limits. So great prescription of the week. All right, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 